0: Hello, good Saturday morning. A great day to be alive, enjoying the beautiful weather. This is Saturday Java with Jason. I have my coffee. Uh, Do you have yours? I'm very honored to have Lynn Dillies. She's an illusionist. She'll be performing at the Warner Theater in Torrington, Connecticut. She'll give you more information about that. For the kids' zone, she's among the greatest illusionists. I think she's been doing this since she was 12 years old. She does corporate events. She does fundraising. She mostly does whatever you need her to do. And anything else you would like to add, Lynn?
1: No, Jason. I think you've you've covered a lot of it. Yeah.
0: Okay. You said that magic has been a vehicle not only to entertain but to inspire lives and make a difference. Can you explain that and go into how you came up with that?
1: Yeah, well, I think it's taken almost a lifetime of doing magic to really fully understand what that means. And with that being said, I truly believe that we're all born with a gift. You know, we all have something really special inside of us that, we can use to develop, to make a difference in the world. My gift happens to be magic. And that is my vehicle to make a difference in people's lives. And I've seen the result of that many, many times. You know, it could be a child in the audience that's really inspired by watching me do something in a very male dominated field. You know, what I do is very empowering as well. So the magic is my tool for that to happen. And again, you know, it's taken many years to develop to get to that point, but it never gets old. I pinch myself pretty much every time I'm on stage and I really am so privileged to be able to live my dream and make a difference in people's lives with my magic.
0: Now, when you go up on stage, you've been doing this for years, but I got to ask you a question. I can't go. I mean, I could do the podcast one on one, stuff like that, but. How do you get up in front of people without having stage fright?
1: It just fortunately for me, Jason, it came naturally. You know, when I started out performing, I wasn't doing shows in front of thousands of people. So everything, everything evolved. I grew into it with shows like doing birthday parties and scout troops and nursing homes just to gain experience and everything grew. I grew, the vehicles grew from a station wagon to a van to a truck. Now I almost have an 18 wheeler that I own and drive. I love to drive my truck. So, I I really get very charged up, let's put it that way, in front of a big audience. I really love the big audiences. You know, with so, 3,000, 5,000 people, it's it's exhilarating. But then on the other hand, there's something really special about doing something like I just did a couple of weeks ago for a fundraiser for this charity that I'm extremely involved with. And I wanted to do a couple of small shows in town to raise money for this toy drive um, as part of this food bank charity that I, I manage in my spare time. That's a whole other story. But anyway, the, the show was at the Dartmouth Grange in Dartmouth, Massachusetts. How quaint was that? And here they were seeing this Vegas type production in a Grange Hall. So that was very intimate. And, you know, maybe about 85 people were there. And so that's kind of neat too. But I really do love performing in front of a big audience. It's very exciting.
0: Now you have 85 people, or let's say 5,000. Does your tricks change with those demographics, or do you still kind of stay? With the same tricks. Like you can't do up close magic for 5,000 people.
1: Right, right. Well, I mean, the last show I had that was around 5 or 6,000 people, it was at the Wells Fargo Arena and that was for a corporate event and they had the huge screens, you know. So when I took a newspaper and tore it up in front of the audience I, I turned around at one point and I, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> look at how huge I am, you know, so everybody could see what I was doing, but I wouldn't be doing a trick, you know, a sleight of hand trick with coins. So that's not really my shtick. So at the Dartmouth Grange, for example, the beauty of what I do is it's very, very customizable. You know, I, I can take some of the big illusions that I do and I can do them. At a Dartmouth Grange, for example, which is really fantastic because these folks who showed up, you know, they were just totally blown away by that experience to see the illusions that we would do on a huge stage performed pretty much that's the equivalent of close-up magic in a way, that they were, you know, 20 feet away watching a couple of these big illusions from my big show. So they're very adaptable. And some of them don't require specialized, you know, stages and the lighting and all of that. Like, the bigger the bigger shows require at big venues like the warner theater for example
0: now let me tell you something you all right african elephants they are several tons i mean they're huge and you made two african elephants up here how is that even possible
1: <laughs> ever hear a slight of trunk
0: <laughs> or two trunks in that case
1: yeah yeah that's a lot to unpack so i always loved elephants and the buttonwood park zoo in new bedford massachusetts was reopening they had been closed for renovations for four years i knew they had two elephants there so i proposed the idea of producing one elephant for the grand opening and i approached the mayor of the city and he said whoa that would be really cool then I said, yeah, you know, it would be spectacular. he said, no doubt, let's uh, let's do it. So originally it was just the one elephant to make appear. So I came up with the illusion, the design, the, the method, engineering it and all of that, which was quite the feat. And then I started to rehearse with the elephant. And that meant that I had to have a prototype of the illusion constructed in the elephant's den the whole goal was to desensitize the elephant so that by the time we did the illusion that it was no pun intended like a walk in the park for the elephant that she would be so used to everything involved with the illusion so it bothered me though that there were two elephants emily and ruth by the way and i was only using one elephant so about halfway through this whole project i had an epiphany of a way that i could make the second elephant Ruth appear. But the whole thing was to do it in succession. So this is what happened. Just just picture a a beautiful summer night with about a thousand people escorted through the zoo. And they don't know what they are in for. They think they're going on a tour of the zoo. And they come around to this beautiful pasture and erected in the middle of this big truss structure was a rectangular frame of metal and on each side of it was like 16 by 12 feet on each side was a piece of rolled up canvas so i came out and i unrolled each piece of canvas it came you know rolling down to the ground creating an enclosed rectangular canvas box and all of a sudden on my command the whole the whole contraption lowered to the ground revealing the first elephant and people absolutely freaked out. That was the biggest wow moment of my career. I just, I get goosebumps every time I think about it. People just freaked. They cried, they screamed. It was so beautiful. Now that elephant walked over to the side. Okay. Now I said to my team, I said, okay, guys, I said, raise that again for me, please. They raised up this canvas box again. On the front of the box, mind you, was all this abstract artwork that the elephant had trunk painted by the way, it was just really cool looking. And I just made a brief mention of that and then boom, that thing lowered down to the ground and there was the second elephant. Yeah, people still talk about that one. <laughs> they still talk about it and that was back in 2000. So that come to find out made magic history. It's the first time that an illusionist had ever made two elephants appear in succession. So it's been archived in the Society of American Magicians.
0: That's really awesome. I mean, I have, I got to give you props on that one. I mean, you know, they made the Statue of Liberty disappear, and now you made two elephants appear.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, because the elephants really enjoyed painting so much, three years later, I came up with another idea. I made a prediction on a piece of cloth what the elephants would paint. So I put this cloth in a box that was padlocked and it was on display in the lobby of the zoo for a couple of weeks leading up to this event. And again, a lot of people, you know, were in attendance and they were escorted over to the area where the elephants lived and the box was also escorted by the mayor of the city. He brought it over. We attached it to a rope that was hoisted above the audience that same box with the prediction in it. And then the elephants came out And they had this huge blank canvas to paint on and i had a girl from the audience selected and she got to pick all the colored paints that the elephants would use right so they each have a paintbrush in their trunk and they're painting all this abstract artwork and everything and i said to this young girl i said well now if you saw this painting on display at an art gallery how much would you pay for it and she thought about it and she said fifty (laughs) dollars i said okay So I wrote down $50 on the canvas with all the artwork, you know, and then I asked her her name and I wrote down her initials. Now with that, the box that was hoisted above the audience was lowered, was opened up unpadlocked. in a clear tube was my cloth. The mayor took out the cloth, unrolled it. And there was my prediction that matched exactly what the elephants had painted with the girl's initial. And it said $50. Yeah, that was pretty neat too.
0: That's amazing. I it actually never ceases to amaze me what magicians can come up with because every trick is, has their own spin type thing on it.
1: Right. Right. Exactly. You know, there really are only so many things that you can do in magic, Jason, you know, for instance, let me think about it. You can make something appear, something disappear. You can dissect something. You can, um, transpose something, you know, you can, you can defy gravity by levitating something. So, but it's all in how you put it together. And then no matter, no matter what the magic has to be strong, but it has to be entertaining as well. And that's what takes years to develop your personality, your style and so forth, your connection with the audience. Anybody can learn how to do a magic trick, you know, and when I'm, teaching kids, I I always try to, you know, make them realize that you have to work on your presentation, you know, that that's equally as important.
0: Right. And I wanted to bring up something that really got to me. I kind of do like the idea of it. And that was the Masked Magician. He had, I think it was called Uncovering Magic Tricks or something like that. And Mm -hmm. he was, it was on the TV show and he would break down He would do a trick that break it down of how it's done. I'm not sure if you remember that show or not.
1: Oh, I remember that show. All right. Are you
0: for it? or Are you against it?
1: And why? I was against it. And a lot of, a lot of us were in the industry. Well, I mean, what it did was it opened up a can of worms when you were performing in front of an audience. Because everything that he revealed wasn't always the true method of the tricks. However, the general lay audience thought that it was. So when you're doing something that you have spent years and years perfecting and you know putting your life savings into, if it plants that seed that they just think that that's how it could work when it really doesn't, well, it just, honestly, it takes away that joy and that that wonder you know, to, to watch us perform. And it it just, it was, it was pretty devastating, to be honest with you, you know, that, that, yeah, yeah. And, and the thing is, it's like, they knew they had a built-in audience because at the time there were a lot of magic shows on TV every year. So they knew that they had a built-in audience that wanted so desperately to know how this magic worked. So he comes in and he sold out on his art for money. And, you know, there we go. So we we tried really hard to boycott the sponsors and and take legal action and everything. So
0: yeah, I heard. I'm not going to say his name, but I guess his reputation went the uh, the way of Dodo too. I guess because he, I guess, got ousted by a lot of other magicians.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. We we collectively made him disappear. <laughs> now, one thing
0: I one thing I do like, though, is Fool Us with Penn and Teller. And the reason oh. why I like that show so much is because Penn and Teller, they might know how the trick is done, but they would do double talk where only magicians know what they're saying and how they do it.
1: Right, right. No, that's that's a really great show. I'm a big fan of that show.
0: Because they could say, you know, you're pushing, you know, you're pushing turtles or you're you're counting doubles or something like that where regular people don't know what he's talking about, but magicians do. That's what I do like.
1: Oh yeah. I agree. I agree. No, it's, it's a great show.
0: Now you, I guess are teaching magic though, and you're doing it on DVDs to kids. It's called learning magic with Lynn. Can you give us a little overview of that?
1: Sure. So the reason I came out, with that, Jason, and this goes back a chunk of years ago was I was, you know, selling these generic magic kits after my show, you know, with my own label on it. And to be honest, I wasn't really that jazzed about the product because I didn't like the idea that the directions were so poorly written. And it's just like anything else, you know, when you get the surprise and the cracker jacks or the cereal box or whatever, you know, you get all excited and then you're like, what is this all about? You know, and what a disappointment. The kid gets all excited with the packaging, you know, and they open it up and, and then they don't even know what the trick is supposed to do. So I came out with this idea to teach them with a DVD so that they would get to see the trick that they're going to learn. I would demo it, you know, and then, hey, kids, here's the secret. And teach them about responsibility, what it means to keep a secret you know, when you learn magic and everything, you know, and then here's the secret and here's how to make the trick and how to perform it, you know? So it takes some mm-hmm. step-by-step through the whole process. And it really went quite well. It's gotten great reviews. And, you know, I, I like to give some of those away during my show and then sell them after my show. I had a distributor for a while and, you know, it was in some stores and whatnot, but right now it's it's basically through my website and after a performance
0: now how long does it actually take a kid all right the kid goes home with you and puts the dvd in how long until he can actually do that trick are you talking days are you talking weeks
1: no no i would say it could be even a couple of hours because it's that detailed in the explanation and all of these tricks use everyday objects now that's how i designed it to be you know, so a, a parent can just, you know, look at look at the list of objects that they need to buy their child. And, you know, whether it's, you know, a couple of napkins, paper plates, Dixie cups, these little, you know, balls that you can get in a craft store, things like that. Crayons, for example. So, yeah, it's uh, the tricks are fairly simplified, but they're very effective and visual. So, um, you know, they they with a little bit of practice, I would say a couple days, you know, they they'd have most of them down.
0: That's so cool. And I know you're doing a, a thing in 20 for, you know, kids right now talking about, you know, kids play, the, yes. yeah, the kids play and talk about like, you know, magic for kids, stuff like that. So when you're going to the Warner theater, I guess you already have your, your stuff planned out, what you're going to do. Right. But what's, the, what's the difference between the theater setting our fundraising and school? What, or corporate, what's the difference between those in on your stage shows? What do you do differently?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, when we're going to be at the Torrington Warner Theater, that show is going to be our evening show. That's pretty much our full show, just about anyway, 90 minutes. And that has almost all of the illusions that, that I do, right? Now, when you're doing a corporate type of an event, sometimes you have to Really customize it to either what the theme is all about, you know. And normally the time for a corporate show is like 45 minutes, you know. So you condense what you would do in a big theater show. Plus the fact you're not on a theater stage, you're on typically these ballroom stages with all these sections of staging put together. And then you have pipe and drape that you have to create, you know, wing space. Like if you were to see the show at the Warner Theater, you know, off in the wings, you don't see all the illusions set up, you know, that's, that's like our parking lot of illusions, right? So you have to create that same scenario when you're doing a corporate event. We get really creative with, with space. You know, I carry a lot of my own pipe and drape, a sound system that can reach up to about, I'd say 700 to a thousand people. I have my own intelligent lighting, moving lights, you know, that we'll be using at the Warner Theater. And so you just get very, you know, very flexible and adapt to any situation. Sometimes we've done corporate events or an after dinner show with an award ceremony or something. They may want, you know, the award recipient or the honoree to be magically produced, you know, so then you have to work around the challenges of the setup and come up with an illusion that is going to work in that setting so you have your plan a b c d and e you know when you figure it out in advance i'm i'm really into doing a lot of advanced work prepping if, if it's you know within driving distance a lot of times i'll go scope out the venue if not then you know I, I have the technical director or the producer take a lot of pictures so we do video or whatever so i can see exactly what i'm dealing with i like to be as prepared as possible
0: now, what's the difference between that and fundraising? I mean, somebody calls you, like you said, you did the the food pantry. What's the difference between the fundraising and that? Is it still kind of the same thing or is it different like tricks or, you know, how do you go about doing that?
1: Yeah, well, a lot of times for a fundraiser, we will be in a high school auditorium, you know, because that's like the go-to in in a town for an organization it could be it could be the Lions Club it could be the Rotary it could be you know a, a high school that wants to raise money for their scholarship fund or a yearbook or whatever so high school auditoriums some of them are actually very very nice especially in this day and age you know with their with their production capabilities and so forth you know so that particular show isn't as elaborate as doing something at the Warner But I tend to get very involved with the organization to help them make it successful and lending them some of my advice that I've acquired through the years, you know, to just walk them through it. You know, typically it's the first time that they've ever put on such a spectacular big production, you know, and I want to make sure it's a success. So I I walk them through everything. And then, you know, sometimes we have to work with the, uh, the kids from the high school, from the drama department, you know, and they are certainly not as experienced as our team from the Warner Theater, you know, that have oodles of experience, but these kids are really sharp, you know, and they love, they love shadowing, you know, my guys, they're like sponges, you know, to be around all this sophisticated equipment and, and see how a show is put together from soup to nuts, you know, unloading the trucks, seeing these big cases come off and then the illusions constructed and, the whole sequence of what's involved with putting a show together—it's—it's it's pretty neat.
0: Okay, now you're going to do the show, and are you? Who do you model after? Would you say you're a Houdini? Would you say you're a Penn and Teller, Amazing Jonathan? What magician would you say you take after the most?
1: Okay, so you have to go back back in time a bit, Jason, to Doug Henning. Doug Henning was the one that broke a lot of the stereotypes in magic, because when he came on the scene, here he was with these overalls and long hair and just, you know, kind of hippie-ish. And and he's like, hey, let's just have a good time. He broke down all those barriers, you know, between himself and the audience. And he was very, very engaging and inviting and, and just wanted to create this this very personalized experience with the magic. Plus, he incorporated a lot of choreography and music into his show. It was a whole theatrical production. And I just loved his personality so much. And if I had to, you know, think of, you know, somebody that really inspired me in magic, it would certainly be Doug Henning in Magic. You know, other performers, anybody that's so passionate about what they do. Like it could be a singer, you know in my personal life, I've had a ton of role models, you know, in my own family and we've overcome a lot of adversity with different things. And so it's a whole conglomeration of all these people that have made me who I am.
0: Okay. Okay, Now you're a magician, illusionist, and you hit that, but what is a goal you would like to do? Would you like to go to put on a show with like a pen and Teller in Las Vegas Would you like to do Madison Square Garden? What is your dream? What's your goal to really put yourself like a wow moment?
1: Yeah. I mean, I fortunately, you know, if, if, you know, something happened and I were to disappear tomorrow, I've accomplished pretty much all of my goals because again, just to be living my dream, it never gets old. Every single show is a challenge. I've had so many incredible wow moments. For me, the challenge is to keep it all going, you know, coming out of the pandemic. That hit me right between the eyes for almost two years. So, you know, I'm very grateful to still be doing what I'm doing. And hopefully I'll be able to work with symphony orchestras again. That was a really cool program I developed called Magic at the Symphony, And that combines my magic with classical music played by a full symphony orchestra. And the place where I premiered that of all places was Lincoln center in New York city. So that was extremely cool. I've been there three times and, you know, to be performing with an 85 piece symphony orchestra behind you playing the music, (laughs) that's, that's major goosebumps right there, you know? So I'm supposed to someday perform with the Boston pops, trying to, Work that out. Uh, that that would definitely be a dream come true. My grandfather was a professional violinist, concert violinist. Taught me how to play the violin, and he played with Arthur Fiedler from the Boston Pops on occasion. He was first violinist when they would come down to our neck of the woods. There was my grandfather up there playing. So that would be a dream come true. I would like to do Broadway. That would be definitely a goal. And just to keep the magic going. Now,
0: people probably would say to you oh look at what you've done you've done this you've done that i bet you got up on stage and things didn't always go the way you wanted to i mean you probably did you have any mishaps along that way or
1: oh sure (laughs) the show is a booby trap (laughs) there's so many things that can go wrong fortunately we've become pretty good at covering them and the one thing that if you haven't seen the show before, the one thing that we have that works to our advantage is that the audience doesn't know what to expect. And you become very good at just rolling with the punches, you know, just, just continuing no matter what. Because if you look like, oh my gosh, you know, something really messed up, the audience will pick up on that. So, yeah, you know, there, there have been a couple of things here and there. But again, you just, you know, it just becomes this sort of innate if you want to call it a defense mechanism or whatever it's just a coping mechanism it just no matter what happens you just continue on and and that's also a good way to I think deal with different life events too you know you just keep going
0: get up brush yourself off and act like nothing happened
1: (laughs) yeah you have to (laughs) it's all part of the illusion
0: (laughs) one thing that I like about you just doing this is you laugh you joke around you're not Like, this is my profession. This is all I'm going to do. You can tell with your persona that you are a people person. You're there to, you know, make people enjoy the show.
1: It's really, really important to me, Jason. It really is. I take every single show to heart. You know, I just want to give it my all. I don't want to leave anything on that stage. I give it everything I have. And the audience knows that and they respect that and they appreciate that
0: now uh when this show at the Warner theater can you give us a little insight of the times the and how to get a hold of tickets or anything like that so people can come and see you
1: sure well let's see so the saturday matinee on july 8th that is happening at one o'clock okay and that is going to be not the full show that's what we call the junior experience (laughs) so just just not as long a show but you know it's definitely for everybody thinking that's going to come in at around 65 70 minutes for that one
0: so that'd be great for like that'd be great for kids where they can't sit still stuff like that for the whole show
1: yeah yeah definitely and then the evening show that starts at 8 p.m now there are Two options for that. There's this really nice cocktail party beforehand. If people want to attend that, I think there's an extra charge for that. But then the full show that I'm doing is at eight o'clock, and that'll be 90 minutes. And that's going to run straight through too. We're not going to be doing an intermission. So the best way to get tickets is to go to warnertheater.org and theater is spelled out T-H-E-A-T-R-E board yeah yeah
0: and i i hope to see you there like i said i'm trying to get the tickets myself but you know i i hope to see you either at one of the other shows this is the espresso moment what was your first job Illusionist. your favorite season fall your favorite food pasta who is your hero two my parents your favorite dessert strawberry shortcake what time do you wake up
1: Oh, average, 8.30 a.m.
0: What movie do you quote the most?
1: Wizard of Oz. There's no place like home.
0: Are you a night in or a night out? Night in. Are you a thinker or are you a doer? Both. Do you learn by watching or do you learn by doing?
1: Doing. When you go
0: swimming, do you dive in or tiptoe in? Tiptoe in. What is your guilty pleasure?
1: Having too much dessert.
0: (laughs) What motivates you?
1: To always do the best that I can.
0: What is your deepest fear? Disappearing. How do you want to be remembered?
1: Making a difference in people's lives.
0: On your gravestone, what is something you would want written to let people know how you were that did not know you?
1: It was just an illusion.
0: And what do you care the most about?
1: Not letting people down.
0: Now, you're saying to disappear. As an illusionist, wouldn't you have to be reappearing too then?
1: (laughs) That would be the goal. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Now, do you do any disappearing, reappearing acts in your performance?
1: Yes, I do. There are You thoughts. do?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So I guess that would be leading up. Just give somebody a little bit of a hint of what's going on. I'm not going to drop any clues because I don't know myself. But, you know, I want to thank you. But before we go, I want to know, is there any last words of advice, any words of encouragement for the listeners, Lynn?
1: Well, I think that we all have to. Treat people with kindness and respect and try really hard to not be judgmental. We are living in turbulent times. We all could use some more magic in our lives. And I think that we all have to realize that we are more alike than different. And we're all in this crazy life together.
0: Well said. Well, listen, Lynn, how do people get a hold of you if they want to follow you or if they want to book you for events? How do they go about doing that?
1: The best way, honestly, is through my website. It's very comprehensive. It is magic of Lynn, L-Y-N.com. So it's spelled out M-A-G-I-C-O-F <laughs> in Frank, L-Y-N dot com. And they can email me through there. I'm also on Facebook. Lynn Dillies, L-Y-N-D-I-L-L-I-E-S, either my personal page or Illusionist Lynn Dillies. That's another way. Whenever I have a public show around, I will always post it. It's a better way to do it than than my website. And, um, you know, I just wanted to let you know, too, that if people miss the show July 8th, I'm going to be at the Kate Theater, the Katherine Hepburn Theater on july 19th two shows there as well one o'clock and 7 p.m in old saybrook connecticut
0: oh wow you're traveling you you got a lot booked then so july's a good month you know summer's coming then you have christmas so there's gotta be a few christmas shows being booked too then
1: yeah starting to work on some things sure
0: so everybody will be seeing her on July 8th at the Warner Theatre in Torrington, Connecticut. and that's about 45 minutes west of Harvard. Yes. So I appreciate your time, Lynn and thank you so much.
1: Thanks Jason. It was my pleasure. It was a lot of fun.
0: Please like the podcast. We are here to please you. please subscribe you don't want to miss the lineup. Please leave a review to show the guests you really care. Until we talk again, may you enjoy your week, your dreams come true, and your coffee cup never run dry.